I want to share with you just a moment before I begin this message that um, as I have been delivering Pastor Rod's messages, it has really opened my eyes to a lot of things in my own life and to realize how much I am totally like Peter. And um, I know that I'm a big, I do a lot of big failures, and that's okay because God works with us and moves us on from those failures and we learn from them. But I, um, if I didn't admit that to you, I wouldn't feel that I was being truthful all the time. And so I just want to let you know that these messages have touched me more, I think, than if um, I had just listened to Rod deliver them because I've had to read them, reread them, and get to know them so that I could deliver it well and um, sound like I really meant it, and I truly do. So we're now, it's Thursday night in an upstairs room in Jerusalem. The disciples have gathered with Jesus for their final meal. They are all there. James and John, Judas, Peter, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon the Zealot, and all the rest. Reclining around a low table, they chatter in a nervous tone. The men know that something is up. Jesus seems pensive and quiet. He talks, but it seems as if he has something on his mind, and indeed he does. Jesus, as he eats the meal, knows that before long this whole night is going to turn ugly. Judas will come with a kiss. The Roman soldiers will come to arrest him. And soon he will stand before Caiaphas and Herod and Pilate. In less than 12 hours, he will be hanging on a cross. The conversation goes back and forth, and Jesus listens. Suddenly, he stands up takes off his outer coat, and wraps a towel around his waist. Taking a basin of water, he goes to the end of the table and kneels down. Without a word, he takes the feet of one of the disciples, brushes the dirt off, and washes them with water, one foot at a time. When he is finished, he takes the towel and wipes the feet dry. He goes to the next one and does the same thing. In the room, there is silence, and no one dares to speak. They cannot believe what Jesus is doing. What seems odd to us would not have seemed odd in the first century, because most people wore sandals and the roads were dusty. Even a short trip meant that your feet ended up dirty. The Romans had built a fine road system. The phrase, all roads lead to Rome, was more than a slogan. And for some of those roads, they're still in use today. After constructing a road from one city to another, they put a kind of dirt on the road that provided a smooth finish. But that dirt left indelible marks on anyone who walked on the roadway. So it was common in the ancient world to provide a basin of water for visitors to wash their feet. The custom goes back so far that the first four mentions of the word feet in the Bible involve washing dirty feet. It's from Genesis 18.4, Genesis 19.2, 24.32, and 43.24. In each case, the water was provided so that all the visitors could wash their own feet. This was simply common courtesy in those days. And in fact, not to offer water for a guest to wash their feet would be a breach of etiquette and an act of unkindness to guests. 
We see this clearly in Luke 7, 36 through 50, when Jesus visits the home of Simon the Pharisee. A pleasant dinner was interrupted when a woman who had been a prostitute comes and kneels at Jesus' feet, weeping because of her love for him, and then drying his feet with her long hair. Simon was scandalized by the shocking and outrageous behavior. But knowing what he was thinking, Jesus rebuked Simon with these stinging words. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. The woman loved much because she had been forgiven much. Simon didn't see himself as a great sinner, so he didn't even bother to offer Jesus the signs of common courtesy, water for his feet, a kiss to welcome him, and oil to anoint his head. In those days, you normally washed your own feet after the host offered you a basin of water. You knelt down, removed your sandals, washed your feet, and then dried them with a towel. If a person had servants, they might be delegated to do the job for you. This was the mark of high achievement in society, that servants wash the feet of your guests. But under no circumstances would the host wash the feet of their guests. The master would never stoop so low as to wash the feet of those beneath him. Slaves washed feet. Masters never did. Now, feet stink when they're dirty. That's a human fact. It's not a cultural observation. After a long, hard day, uh, your feet have absorbed a pounding. If you wear sandals, they've been exposed to dirt everywhere. If your feet are in socks, they're likely to be sweaty. And then you'll have all the usual foot problems, ingrown nails, uh, corns, calluses, cracked heels, and for some people, fungus of various kinds. It's no great revelation to say that some people don't pay much attention to their feet. And I'm guessing that most men definitely pay less attention than women. For men, feet are those things attached at the bottom of their legs. They think about them when they buy shoes, and they think about them when they hurt. But that's about it. Lots of men go a lifetime without having a pedicure. For women, it's a different matter. But still, most of us don't think much about our feet unless they're bothering us. Have you ever tried to wash someone's feet at the end of a long, hot day? Have you ever tried to wash somebody's feet when they're covered with grime and sweat? Have you ever put your face right down next to an ingrown toenail? It's not an easy thing to do. And some groups observe foot washing as a church ritual. I have no objection whatsoever to that practice. And in fact, I think it can be a beautiful remembrance of that night in the upper room. But if you know you're going to a foot washing service, what do you do first? You wash your feet. That's what I would do, and I know that's what I've done when we've had these before. We just naturally do that because we don't want someone to wash our dirty, smelly feet. But that's the whole point, isn't it? If your feet aren't dirty, they don't need washing. If they need washing, someone has to stoop down and get up close and personal with your dirty feet. 
For most of us, that's a bit embarrassing and humiliating. I read the story recently of a family who was traveling in China, who on the advice of one of their children who worked there, went to have a Chinese foot massage. They took a taxi down to the main shopping district of Beijing, where they found the foot massage establishment on the second floor of a building, and it turned out to be a very nice setting. They seated each person on a raised chair, like a barber chair, where they could watch TV or read magazines. They offered them tea and sandwiches. Eventually, the foot massagers came out, four women and one man. The dad in the family remarked that he ended up with a young lady who was maybe half his size. She looked up at him, smiled, and placed his feet in a pan of extremely hot tea, which evidently cleansed them and also took away most of the feeling. A few minutes later, she came back and went to work, massaging, rubbing, stretching, pulling, prodding, and doing all manner of things to his feet, including popping his toes. At one point, she looked to the side and made some kind of joke in Chinese. He wondered what you do when someone is joking about your feet in a language you can't understand. But she continued to work on his feet for a while, and even came around behind him and massaged his neck and shoulders and upper arms. The whole experience lasted an hour, and it cost $12 per person. Even though all that massaging made him sore, he said, in the end, his feet felt better than they had in months. In looking back on that experience, what he remembered is how vulnerable it felt to have someone rubbing his feet. For him, it was a humbling experience. This may not be apparent at first, but think about it. Your feet carry an enormous load. Did you know that the average person walks the equivalent of three times around the earth in a lifetime? And the foot itself is a complex mechanism made up of 23 bones, 33 joints, and over 100 muscles and tendons. Whether you know it or not, your feet represent all of you. After all, wherever your feet go, the rest of you must follow. If your feet hurt, your whole body hurts. If your feet are cold, you are cold all over. If your feet are dirty, you don't feel clean until you wash your feet. Your feet take you anywhere you want to go. That's why the Bible says in Romans 10:15, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Because the feet are a humble part of the body, washing them touches us deeply and reveals our truest feelings. That's why Peter reacted so strongly when Jesus approached him with the towel and the basin. Listen to how the gospel writer John tells it. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing but same, someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. 
In the original Greek of the New Testament, the words are even stronger than in English. The words you and my are put in an emphatic position, as if Peter is saying, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? But even that doesn't express the shock Peter felt. How can it be that you, my Lord, should wash the feet of someone like me? Peter felt that this was simply not right, that somehow the roles had been reversed. It violated all that he had been taught for Jesus to touch his dirty feet. This simply could not happen. By the way, this is one of the longest conversations on record between Peter and Jesus. And everything Peter says is wrong. Don't you love Peter? He swings from one extreme to the other. The more Peter talks, the more confused he gets. First he is shocked. Then he flatly refuses for Jesus to wash his feet. Then he tells Jesus to wash his hands and his head too. He speaks out of confusion, born of frustration and complete misunderstanding. Nothing that Jesus says or does makes sense to him. In verse 8, he refuses Jesus in the strongest language possible. He uses so many negatives that we can't translate it very well into English. It means something like, you will never ever wash my feet, not now, not ever, absolutely not. To which Jesus calmly replies, fine, but if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And that's when Peter impulsively says, go ahead, give me a bath, wash me all over. God bless Peter. He doesn't understand. But he wants Jesus to know that he loves him and wants to be his disciple through and through. That's what I mean when I say that foot foot washing exposes the heart. The lack of water for foot washing exposed Simon the Pharisee's callous indifference. Peter's confusion reveals the depth of his dedication. He wants to follow Jesus with clean feet, a clean heart, and with every other part of his body. Don't miss the fact that according to John 13, 4, the meal was already underway when Jesus began washing the disciples' feet. But the time for foot washing normally came before the meal. Why hadn't they washed each other's feet? Why hadn't someone washed Jesus' feet? Why did they start the meal with dirty feet? No doubt the events of the final few days had distracted them. But we get a greater clue from Luke 22:24, which tells us that in the upper room, after Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper, they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Can you imagine that? Jesus has just revealed he would give his body and blood for them, and now they're all looking out for number one. Kind of normal, isn't it? No wonder they didn't wash each other's feet. No wonder it was left to Jesus. The master must become the servant of all so these big shots will understand who he really is and why he came to earth. That's what Jesus meant when he told Peter, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. The dirt on their feet symbolized the dirt they all carried on the inside. The outer stain from the dusty roads mirrored the inner stain of sin that no washing with water could ever remove. Jesus, putting on the servant's towel, pictured his willingness to die the death of a common criminal, and the water stood for his blood that cleanses from sin. 
The washing itself stands for the washing of regeneration. You can find that in Titus 3.5. Whereby our sins are washed away. That's why Jesus told Peter that his feet must be washed or he would not have any part of him. As long as Christ is outside of us, all that he has done for the world of <clears throat> is no value to us. It's not enough to say, I attend Redeemer Church, or I love to sing the old hymns, or even Pastor Rod baptized me. It's not even enough to say, I believe that there was a person named Jesus who lived and died 2,000 years ago. On that night in the upper room, it was not enough to say, I like the idea of Jesus washing my feet. I just don't want him washing my feet. As long as we stand apart from Christ, all the knowledge and religious experience in the world makes no difference. One commentator points out that Peter's many spiritual advantages made no difference. He was humble, but humility is not enough. He experienced miracles, but miracles are not enough. He heard Christ teach, but knowledge is not enough. He walked with Christ, but merely being close to him was not enough. He performed acts of service, but doing good was not enough. He saw Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, but spiritual experiences are not enough. He was full of enthusiasm for Jesus, but even that was not enough. Peter must humbly submit to having his feet washed by the Son of God, and he must do it even though he did not fully understand it. In the same way, coming to Christ is like having our feet washed. We must come to him dirty and unclean, embarrassed by the stain of sin we cannot remove, and we must do nothing at all while Jesus does the work for us. We cannot wash away our own sin. Jesus must do that for us. Many of our older hymns speak to this truth. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is a flowing, a crimson tide, brighter than snow you may be today. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus came to a world of dirty feet. Our journey through life is much dirtier than we think. We never know what we might step in that will leave us defiled and unclean. We don't like to think about that, but it's true. No matter how hard we try, no, no, sorry, no matter how hard we may try to stay clean, we are all dirtier than we think. And we end each day dirtier than when we started. That's why Jesus told Peter that although he was clean already, he still needed to have his feet washed. A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. Two different words are used here, one meaning a complete bath and the other meaning to wash something. 
Coming to Christ is like taking a bath. We are made clean as our sin is washed away, but we still need daily cleansing by the blood of Christ. We may have committed our life to Christ, but because we sin every day, we need daily cleansing. We need to regularly have the dirt removed from our feet. When we come to Christ, the guilt of our sin is removed forever. But because we live in a dirty world, we need cleansing every day. Think about the course of your life over the last 24 hours. We have said things we ought not to have said. We have responded unkindly or too quickly. We have done things that we ought not to have done. We have left undone acts of mercy. We have not been perfect people. That's why we need what Jesus offers. We need to be cleansed again every day. We need salvation that takes away the guilt of sin and provides for daily cleansing. Jesus makes us ready for heaven. He removes the guilt of our sin, and he daily cleanses us from every sin when we call on him. Through his death on the cross, Christ provides all that we need now and forever. For many years, I heard that the great reformer Martin Luther said that we should sin boldly, but I never knew the context of that seemingly outrageous statement. Then I ran across this quote from a letter Luther wrote to his friend Philip Melanchthon on August 1st, 1521. Here's the quote. God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners. Be a sinner and let your sins be strong. But let your trust in Christ be stronger and rejoice in Christ who is the victor over sin and death in the world. We will commit sins while we are here, for this life is not a place where justice resides. It suffices that through God's glory we have recognized the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. No sin can separate us from him. Do you think such an exalted lamb paid merely a small price with a meager sacrifice for our sin? If we're shocked by this, perhaps we have never appreciated the depth of our sin. And until we see the depth of our sin, we will never appreciate the great sacrifice our Lord made when he died on the cross. We are not imaginary sinners. We are great sinners who need a great Savior and we have one in Jesus Christ who stooped so low that he was not ashamed to wash our dirty feet. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for Jesus, who showed us the way of faithful service and loved us enough to come to earth and live among us so that we might know your unconditional love. We know that he died for the sins of all humankind, people like us who lose their way in disobedience, self-centeredness, and alienation. Forgive us when we have broken covenant with you and turned from your grace. Pardon our sin and bring all the pieces of our life back together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.